0: Thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Top Turtle MMA Podcast on FlowCombat.com. I'm Daniel gumby Freeland, joined once again by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. The UFC pulled it off. They got us three fight cards in just eight days, and they were amazing fights as well. We're going to be talking to three of the winners from those fight cards. We're starting by talking to Brian Boom Kelleher, who won Fight of the Night with a knockout over Hunter Asia. We'll also be talking to Nate Landwer who had a bloody war with Darren Elkins that he edged out, and we'll be talking to Tiago Moises, who picked up a leg lock victory over Michael Johnson. He's even going to give us the technical breakdown of that leg lock as well. Um, and on top of all that, me and Dave are going to be talking about our favorite moments of those fight weeks and be talking about leg locks in MMA in general. It is a can't-miss show. Make sure you tune in for all that great content. But before you do, i got to remind you that this episode of Top Turnal MMA Podcast is brought to you by the Fight Call app. They are going to change the way you play daily fantasy sports for MMA by eliminating those pesky salary caps. Not have to worry about picking six people instead of picking the entire card. Instead, you are just going to pick the winners. You're going to pick the rounds they win, and you're going to pick the methods of which they win. And the person who knows that kind of stuff the most, the most intelligent fan is going to be the one to win the prize. It is the way that daily fantasy sports should be for MMA, so make sure you check them out at GetFightCall.com. They are going to be launching next week, and for signing up for updates on their site, they are giving away $25 gift cards to the UFC store every single week. So head on over there, get your updates for when this thing launches, and get yourself some free UFC gear. Fight Call app brings you this episode of Top Turn MMA podcast, and it starts right now. daniel guppy with top turtle mma on FlowCombat.com. today i have the pleasure of speaking to brian boomkeller fresh off of his fight of the night and ko of hunter Asia on wednesday down in ufc in jacksonville so brian i, I gotta ask you you ended the fight with a post fight interview and a call for tie-dyed fight shorts did you make any headway with the boss on that one
1: uh, i hope so man i didn't hear back from him i know someone brought it up in the post fight uh Press conference, but um, you know I we know that uh, Sean O'Malley is one of those guys they're going to be smart with, so I don't think they want to make any impulse decisions on who they match him up with. But uh, I know I definitely got their attention.
0: Yeah, and I actually wanted to ask you about that call out too, because you know you went up to featherweight, which I'm assuming is partially because of the quarantine and, and all that's going on in the world. But you look really good at featherweight too. Is there any chance that you stay up at featherweight for a fight or two?
1: It was the quarantine weight class, you know? Uh, <laughs> I just I just honestly went up because uh, I was heavier due to the circumstances of the training being different. Um, you know, it wasn't like I slacked off or I wasn't training at all. It was just like the way that I had to deal with my training was different. My body started to react to it. I was like lifting more weights at home and put some muscle on. But like, man, I'll tell you, I felt really good at featherweight. I wish we could do that. It's just, I don't think I could fight these real featherweights, you know, because, you know, typically I walk around like 155 if I'm getting the correct training. And these guys are walking around like, you know, 170s, even sometimes 180. So I would love to fight more Bantamweights at featherweight if they're willing to meet me there. I'm sure a lot of guys don't want to have to cut a drastic amount of weight right now. So I think that would be great during these times. But otherwise, I would like to stick to Bantamweight.
0: And what particularly felt best about it? I mean, obviously not having to do the terrible weight cut, but what what felt best about your game when you were in the
1: cage? Well, yeah, that's the thing, man. Not doing that terrible weight cut translates over to fight day, I feel. You know, that's what I was looking for to see how, how you know, not draining my body all the way down would affect me the next day. And I and I could say that I felt, like, sharp. I, my, my mind felt good. I was... I was very loose and I, and I definitely felt like a, a different kind of power in my punches that I don't really necessarily know if it's the same at Bantamweight weight with draining myself. so that was uh, you know just a couple of things I noticed that I was like really happy about. just the way I felt overall was just good energy. Uh, you know my cardio was fine. It wasn't like I lacked in like speed or anything like that, but I just had more power and a little bit more like sh- strength and stuff like that
0: well that's certainly interesting and it'll be interesting to see if more people give you that chance at at featherweight now you you said that you didn't think they were going to give you sean o'malley because they were trying to be careful with him what do you think you have to do in order to get uh, a guy like sean o'malley because you are on a three-fight win streak with with really impressive fights
1: yeah no i mean i i got two big wins this year so far i think uh you know, the whole storyline with the Contender Series guys that they've been giving me. You know, I think, you know, sometimes they, they give the the younger guys to the older veteran. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, prove that, hey, listen, like, I could take these young guys out. I'm in my prime right now. I'm ready to go. Uh, my mindset is in a, a great place now. So I think I just have to... Keep, you know, speaking what I want into existence. Keep keep saying what I want to get, you know, keep calling him out. And if he's not going to respond and not take the fight, you know, that's on him. Uh, but uh, that's all I could do. You know, keep winning fights and keep asking for what I want.
0: Absolutely. Now, I want to talk a little bit about the fight, too, because uh, obviously it was an exciting one. One fight of the night. You had a real back-and-forth first round. He landed quite a few body shots in there, too. D- did you feel anything there, too? Or was that some of the bonus of, of being a featherweight there, that, that you could kind of absorb those
1: blows more? Yeah, the, he he definitely had some pop to his punches, too. Uh, but uh, I, I said this to my guys. You know, fighting John Lineker was like... It really uh, set me up for a, a, an easier time in the future to deal with anybody's kind of power shots. Because nobody hits like John Lineker, in my opinion. So, uh, you know, I was able to weather the storm. Uh, he definitely caught me to the body once, I remember, where I was, like, having that poker face, and I was like, oh, man, like, you got me there. You know, I was, lost my breath a little bit. But I recovered really quickly, and I think, you know, that was another thing with being at featherweight. You know, uh, I, ha- you know I was able to recover quicker. I was able to take harder shots and not really feel them. Like, I, I didn't get wobbled at all in that fight. I didn't feel off at all. That's awesome. Now, I want to
0: go back to what you said about John Lineker, that he sort of prepared you. Do you sort of credit that fight for for a big part of your career and a, a big part of your progress, knowing that you, you know, went in there with John Lineker and took some of his bigger shots?
1: Yeah, for sure, because that was like, you know, losing that fight was like detrimental and like kind of brought me down. And then I had to rise back up and kind of find myself again as a fighter. And, you know, I did that in the gym, of course, and then translated over to my fights. But uh You know, I learned a lot from that fight, you know, both physically and mentally, but more so mentally just having to go through that and deal with that and then have to face that and and the possibilities in fighting and then, you know, come back out and and believe in myself again 100% and that I could beat anybody they put in front of me.
0: And, and, And you mentioned believing in yourself too because you did do a big thing believing in yourself recently. I know your contract was just about up before that Odie Osborne fight. You win that fight, you go out and win this fight, get performances, bonuses, and both of those. Do you feel validated at this point, or or is there still more work to do?
1: Oh, no, there's always more work to do, but definitely uh, I'm in a great place. You know, I think going into the O'Day fight, I had my job on the line, essentially. You know, it wasn't really even my choice. It was just the way it it worked. You know, the the UFC was probably kind of like, hey, we don't know where Brian Kelleher is at right now. You know, where's he at mentally? Is he still at the top of his game? You know, can he compete with these young, hungry guys that are, you know, on on the come up? And I proved that. So, I think really that's what I proved, you know, to myself and also to the UFC. Like I'm still here, you know, and I and I'm still gonna make a run at that top, that top tier. So that's my goal this year is to go on a big win streak, and put myself back in into relevancy. You know, I think I'm there right now, but there's always more work to do to get to the top for sure.
0: Absolutely. And you, you said you wanted Sean O'Malley, but obviously, you know, you're you're willing to take other fighters as well. Is there a time frame that you'd like to get back in there to start this run?
1: Well, I, w- I want to stay as active as possible. I love the momentum factor of like winning fights and feeling good in there and, and, and feeling yourself uh, get better and better and being able to bring that into the cage, you know, with some level of comfort. Like, oh, I was just in here, so I know what this feels like. I'm back in here again and I feel good about it. So I want to get back in pretty quick. The only thing is I got stitches on my toes, like two of my toes. So I, I have to kind of lay off my foot for like a week at least, maybe even two weeks. Um, but that's not that big of a deal. You know, I, I'm, I'm hoping to get back in there, especially if they let me do it at 145 against another weight. Like we could do it sooner, like maybe late July, early August would be like, I guess the earliest.
0: Awesome. And, and now I got to ask, too, because, you, you know, you talked about building momentum and moving up the division. Obviously, you're taking and looking at taking fights at featherweight. Do you feel like that does anything for the ranking at Bantamweight? Are you worried that maybe, you know, some of the people on the, the judging panel do not see you as a Bantamweight if you're winning fights at, at featherweight? Or are you less worried about all that?
1: No, I'm not worried about that, man. I You know, it's about winning in this sport. You get two paychecks when you win. You know, you get bonuses like this. Uh, I think that's the name of the game. You know, you want to provide for your future and and all that stuff. So, uh, you know, rankings have been controversial for such a long time now. We don't, you know, a lot of people don't even know what's going on with these rankings. They got guys in weight classes ranked that don't even fight in that weight class at all anymore. But, you know, with me, I think if people pay attention, they understand, you know, what happened there. You know, this is a pandemic. Kelleher is fighting another Bantamweight, but they just decided to meet at 145. So I think that they understand the fight was really two weights. and I think I'm still going to get the recognition from, from these two wins, you know, especially this last one with the knockout. You know, undefeated guys never lost. I think I'll definitely move up a little bit. But when it comes to rankings, you got to fight a guy with a number to kind of take that number.
0: That makes a lot of sense. Now, you said you get two paychecks when you win. You've gotten three paychecks uh, the last two times yes. you've won. Have you done anything special with them? Has, has there been a big purchase that Brian has wanted?
1: I'm trying to pay the bosses off to give me that O'Malley fight, but they. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know if I have enough. I don't know if I have enough money for that. It's too risky for them, you know. But uh, no, I, I I'm just saving up trying to buy a house. I don't want to uh, make any any crazy purchases anymore. You know, early on I I got my first like bonus or two. Like I think I bought my car, you know, which I paid off, and that's nice. I don't have to pay any monthly bills on that, which is kind of my goal. You know, I don't I don't want to have any hefty like monthly bills. I just want to pay things off and kind of own them. So I got the car. I bought some jewelry because, you know, I like jewelry, but I might have went a little too far with that. So no no more, no more stupid buys. But, uh, you know, we're definitely trying to look into more of like investing and uh, and saving for a house. All right, well, that sounds awesome, and we hope you get in there as soon as
0: possible so you can start working towards that goal and all of your other goals a little bit quicker. Once again, fans, this is Brian Keller fresh off his Fight of the Night and Knockout of Hunter Asia on Wednesday at UFC in Jacksonville. Brian, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it. Boom. Thank you. And that interview with Brian Boom Kellehert is brought to you by Maroon Social. M-A-R-U-N-E. Maroon Social is the one and only social media app for the martial arts enthusiast. It is the one and only way to track all of your training, whether you do jiu-jitsu, boxing, judo, sambo, or any of the 32 martial arts they have on board. It is absolutely amazing. And if you're one of those people who's isolating right now and maybe aren't getting the chance to do your martial arts, they also have great ways for you to track. All of your activities and all of your exercising, whether you're doing yoga or you're going for runs, they've got timers built in and all kinds of other great ways to log stuff. So make sure to check them out. That's Maroon Social, wherever it is you download apps. (laughs) This is Daniel gumby Freeman with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today I have the pleasure of speaking to Nate Landwehr, fresh off his three-round war with Darren Elkins at UFC in Jacksonville this past Saturday. So, Nate it was a hell of a show an absolute bloodbath but since then I gotta ask you because Darren Elkins had came out and said that he thinks his scar tissue in his face could have possibly screwed him out of a decision what do you have to say to that claim
2: no no I mean I was there I felt like I beat him up I was there I was in the octagon with him I mean I'm pretty sure that uh he looks a lot worse than I do right now I mean I was hitting him with these shots that busted him open. That scar tissue just didn't come open because of the wind.
0: That, that's very true. Now, I, I do have to ask you, too. You hit him with some hard shots. Like you said, do you think that those hard shots were going to put him away? Were you surprised he hung in there?
2: No, nah, man, we knew coming into it he was going to be a tough dude. Uh, yeah, he lived up to that reputation and more. Yeah, he's phenomenally tough
0: absolutely and, and while you were in there i i gotta ask too because the the antics were absolutely entertaining you, you know you're fighting for a little while with one hand behind your back you were pointing at dana and talking directly to him was that something you had planned or were you just that comfortable in there for that bout
2: man i was just having a great time it was just, i was just having too much fun man i uh just happened natural and uh i don't know uh i felt good man i felt like. Uh, the UFC is my home, you know.
0: Well, that that's certainly awesome. Now I do gotta ask you: Did did you get any feedback about uh, that that antics in those in the cage? Did you get any feedback from the boss? Did you get any feedback from the UFC?
2: I mean, it worked. Everybody who needs to know who I am knows who I am. I mean, if I got a million haters and the press ain't a white, then I'm impressed ain't a white.
0: That That's certainly true, and do, do you feel like you've gotten hate from, from media and fans alike, or, or do you feel like most people received uh, it pretty well? Mostly
2: positive, mostly positive, I mean, my following has jumped through the roof in the last day, but mostly positive, but you know, there's some naysayers out there, a little hating.
0: Yeah, and that, that that certainly comes with just about every win, especially wins that come by decision. Uh, you know, you said you you weren't surprised you weren't able to get him out of there because he is so damn tough. Was it a little disappointing that you didn't get a knockout, like, you know, maybe some of the the bigger ones you had in M1?
2: Yeah, man, I wanted to take him out of there. I want to get everybody out of there. But uh, we was happy with the, the fun fight,
0: and, uh, I mean, uh, I think it was exactly what the world needed. You're definitely right too. Like the, the, the fights these past weekends were very entertaining and, and a lot of people feel like, you know, getting the, the excitement and the sports that we needed was key. I, I wanted to talk a little bit about that too because you were fighting in an empty arena. You're used to fighting at huge arenas over in Russia or in Kyrgyzstan or, or places like that. It, and then your UFC debut obviously had a ton of people there. You're a guy who kind of feeds off the crowd too. Was it weird being in there with no, no fans?
2: No, I man, it wasn't weird at all. I mean, uh, I took advantage of the quietness and was, got to uh, get a little talky into Dana. So, I mean, it worked out in my my favor.
0: And how about, like, hearing your corner your too? Were you able to hear them and the other cornermen for that matter, better? And, yeah, and I... it was crazy. I could... It was crazy. I could hear my corner, man. I could hear his corner, man. That's
2: how, like, I knew by the end of the night that DJ, man, he was going to throw some punches and go for a touchdown, I mean, a takedown. So every time I heard DJ, I knew he was going to come barreling forward and try to take me down.
0: Interesting. And, and how long did it take you to figure that out, too? Because I, I know you stuff takedowns in just about every round.
2: Shit, about the, about the six DJ I heard, DJ, DJ. I said, all right, okay. All right, DJ.
0: Wow, and, and so that that's obviously a a large advantage you have over your opponent when it's coming in. Have you ever felt anything like that before? I know you fought regionally in in Tennessee a little bit before you wound up over in M one. Did you ever have any experience like that before where you broke the code of your opponent?
2: No, nah, it was crazy, man. I was just I just could hear everything. It was it was pretty cool. It felt like a, like a like I was just said the mat at the gym. You know what I mean? Fighting a motherfucker.
0: And, and, and obviously the, the performance speaks for itself there too. Do you feel like this is a, an environment you'd like to, to touch upon again? You'd like to get in there again before everything opens up?
2: I would like to get in there as soon as I possibly can uh, against whoever the UFC wants me to fight. And,
0: and so obviously you, you feel like you can get in there as quickly as possible. I, I assume you don't have many bumps and bruises. There, there's no, uh, no scar tissue on your face?
3: Oh,
2: no scar tissue. Um, nah, man, it,
0: I feel a little bit like my hands hurt, man.
2: I'm going to get I'm gonna, get to, I'm gonna give a couple things looked at by a doctor. But, yeah, I got some uh, aches and pains. But that's what happens when you get into a fight with a motherfucker.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. So, you know, you said you'd fight just about anybody. Is there a name out there or is there a, a caliber of opponent you're looking for? Are you looking for a guy who would just go in there and swing with you a little more? Tell us what you'd like to see next. I would like
2: to fight uh, Ezolo, This cat named uh, what's his name? man? Mozart Evloev. I think he's like number twenty five. He uh, he was the He was one of the champions in uh, M one Global. He transferred over to the UFC last year. He's two and zero in the UFC, and uh, we can make that happen on Fight Island. I know they get him in there because he's from Russia.
0: Hell, that would be a, a heck of a fight. I'd love to see you against Mozart Evloev. But we're of course gonna, yeah. we're of course gonna have to wait and see if that fight gets booked and we'll see how your hands heal up. And until then, fans, this was Nate Landwer who's fresh off of his three round war with Darren Elkins at UFC in Jacksonville. Once again, Nate, thanks so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it.
2: All right, thank you. Have a good one.
0: And that interview with Nate Landwer is brought to you by Battle Clan Gear. Visit battleclangear.com and use promo code TURTLEUP10, that's turtleup one for 10% off all of their amazing looking, phenomenal feeling jujitsu gear. That's right, they've got great spats, rash guards, t-shirts, whatever it is you need, they've got it. And if you're not training at the moment, because you know, hey, we're all in isolation right now, they've also got other great things like hooded sweatshirts and coffee mugs, so check them out, battleclangear.com. This is Daniel Gumpy Freeman with Top Turtle MMA on FlowCombat.com. And today, I have the pleasure of speaking to Tiago Moises, fresh off of his win over Michael Johnson at UFC in Jacksonville back on Wednesday of last week. So, Tiago, before we, we talk too much about the victory, I want to talk about the submission itself. So, it looked like you sort of had a straight ankle lock grip on that leg, but also, it seemed like there was some twisting going on with the submission as well. Can you give us a little bit of a technical breakdown of exactly what that submission was?
3: Yes. Uh, my submission, like, I had the single leg. Then uh, I lay, I laid down, you know, and I went straight to the straight ankle lock. And um, my left leg was over his uh, his leg, crossing over his leg, like putting a lot of pressure on his knee. But I, I had, like, a straight ankle lock. I started... Uh, going belly down and then he had to tap
0: So so do you believe that the it was the straight ankle lock that tapped him out or do you believe when you belly down it, it put enough torque on the knee to, to damage his knee and get him to tap on that? Uh,
3: I believe it was the 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 ankle, the ankle lock because uh, I heard his uh, his foot popping a few times.
0: Wow. So you heard it popping a couple of times. Did he confirm that afterwards too was was he all right walking or or was he you know pretty significantly banged up?
3: I think I think it is uh, hurting him a little bit, but uh, I don't remember like he. I I think he was able to walk after that.
0: Well, well, that's certainly good because we obviously don't want to see anybody hurting it. But it was a very yes, impressive. It was a very impressive submission. Were you surprised you didn't win a performance bonus off of that submission?
3: <laughs> yes, I was very surprised because I was like, sure, I would get that bonus after that that submission because this kind of submission we don't see it very often, you know, and uh, especially against a high level opponent. Uh, I. Uh, I was surprised that I didn't get the bonus.
0: Yeah, I, I was really surprised too, especially because I I can't even remember the last straight ankle lock I saw. Now I, I want to ask you about the entry too, because as you said, you know, you grabbed the single leg, you fell to your back, and you looked for the the leg. Was it your plan going out into that second round to fall to your back to, to sort of pull guard, or were you looking for Were you actually looking to finish the single leg there?
3: Like uh, in training, you know, the strategy was to use my jiu-jitsu and my wrestling during this fight, so. But I knew me and my coaches we knew he had a really good uh wrestling defense and they knew also that my jiu jitsu is way better than him. So I would be like uh in advantage even if I were on my back. So the strategy was taking him down, but if I couldn't get the takedown, uh I would like uh, Go for the butterfly sweep, you know, or to the to the this strength ankle lock. Uh, I I drilled this a lot, uh, even the locker room. I was drilling these moves, so when I get the, when I got the single leg, it was just natural, you know. I didn't even think about it.
0: That's that's awesome. Now I gotta ask too, because you said you know you you obviously planned it and you, you were working on it back in in the back room. We didn't see too much of that in the first round, too. Was there something that your corner said in between the first and second round to you that inspired you to, to sort of go all in on that grappling effort?
3: Yes, you know, this was the, the strategy. This was, like, what I should have done, like, since the beginning of the fight, you know. But I didn't find my distance. Like, he was getting comfortable, so uh, I need to make some adjustments.
0: And, and that's what your corner told you to do, too, just to make the adjustment?
3: Yes, my corner. All, all of my corner, they were talk to me you you gotta go forward you know you gotta pressure him you gotta like make him tired to use your grappling and that's what he's gonna do
0: absolutely and obviously it worked now i want to talk about where this puts you in the ufc because obviously you know you're, you're one and two before in the ufc which puts you in kind of a, mm-hmm. a risky position here did you feel like your job was on the line going into this fight
3: yeah i knew i knew uh, uh, my back was against the wall you know but uh I didn't focus on that, you know, I just focused on all the things that I could control, that was why my performance, you know, that's this took the the weight off my back, you know.
0: A- absolutely, and in addition to taking the weight off your back too, it actually puts you in a, a really interesting position, right? Because, you know, like I said, a 1-2 start is is not really exciting, but but a win over Michael Johnson is something you know, not a lot of people have. This is a guy who beat Tony Ferguson, this is a guy who beat Dustin Poirier. Where do you feel like this win puts you in your weight class?
3: You know, uh, I think I deserve a top 15 next, you know. Uh, I have fought nothing but a tough opponent since I got to the UFC. Uh, I win over Michael. I, I think uh, I deserve that, you know, because he's a top, top. as you said, he beat Tony Paris on Dustin, who both guys are former champions and uh, he's a former title contender, you know. He was number five in the world. So I think a top 15 opponent would, would be fair, you know. I'd love to fight Anthony Pérez.
0: I love that matchup too. What what particularly about an Anthony Pettis matchup do you like so much?
3: You know, I think my my fight style you know, matchups really good against his his fight style. I think I have all the tools to beat him.
0: I I, I love that one. Now, obviously, you know, you, you had a, a round of of pretty grueling fighting followed by a, a pretty quick second round. How do you feel? Are you ready to fight almost right away again or or do you need some time here?
3: No, I'm ready to fight. You know, Uh, I'm going to be back to training this week. So getting better and fixing my mistakes and uh, I'm ready to go. All
0: right. Well, we are we're certainly looking forward to seeing you back in there as soon as possible. Once again, fans, this was Tiago Moises fresh off of his ankle lock submission over Michael Johnson at UFC in Jacksonville. Tiago, thank you so much for the time, man. We really appreciate it.
3: Thanks so much. I appreciate it.
0: Well, we hope you enjoyed all three of those interviews, including that interview with Tiago Moises. Now, once again, I'm Daniel Gumby-Freeland, joined as always by my co-host, Shockwave Dave Tremonte. Dave, a lot of crazy things happened in that eight days of MMA. I, I want to know what stuck with you the most from this big week.
4: I don't even know where to begin. There was so much exciting stuff that happened. I mean, I guess it would be criminal for us not to touch base. On the fact that Justin Gaethje is on a warpath right now, Tony Ferguson has a zombie chin. 155 has never been more exciting. Let's start there.
0: Yeah, and, and and I hear a lot of people saying that they're crazy bummed out, right? That we're we're now in the post Tony Ferguson versus Habib era, right? Like we think that that's not gonna happen. First of all, it could still happen, right? Like there there's nothing saying that like. Geachy doesn't, you know, like toast Habib, and then all of a sudden we've got those two fighting for a number one contendership. Or, on the other hand, like who's to say Tony Ferguson won't rattle off another nine wins and wind up fighting Habib down the road? So I don't think it's gone. And in addition to that, too, I, I think we're also in a, in a spot where Geachy is probably a better matchup for Habib, right? Like Tony conceded some takedowns to like people like. You, you know, not that Kevin Lee is a bad wrestler, but he is clearly not the caliber wrestler as a Habib. So like he he had given up takedowns to guys like that. And yeah, he saved himself with the submission. I just don't see him being as successful with submissions off his back against Habib. So I I think Justin Gaethje being able to thwart those takedown attempts is actually probably more exciting. I, you know,
4: it's one of those things that's so dynamic and and I think people's games are ever evolving. I don't really know if, if Khabib got a takedown on Justin, I've never seen Gaethje off his back. So for all I know, he looks like a frightened turtle. Khabib passes his guard and, you know, who's to say what happens. I like the possibility of Tony working off his back, which we know he would against Khabib. I also like, you know, Khabib is on a scale of one to 10. He's an adequate striker. Let's call him a 7.5. Gaethje to me is nearing 10 out of 10 levels. Um, Tony's funky style against a Khabib might play a little better than it did against a Gaethje, who just has tremendous
0: boxing defense mm. and is disciplined and and everything else. So He's now disciplined. He wasn't always disciplined, but he certainly is true. now disciplined. Yes. Which, which is why I
4: think it also makes MMA betting the most exciting sport in to bet on, because people's games are always evolving. You know, you can go into a fight thinking you know Justin Gaethje, but depending on what he worked on in camp, etc a brilliant coach and Trevor Whitman. I love the between rounds, coaching advice, like, you know, take 20% off your punches. You're trying to kill them out there. Uh, just really brilliant stuff. So that all being said, I like all those matchups. And here's the thing. Fans can go online and complain, oh, we're not getting this. We're not getting that. There's still a virus out there. Say what you will about it. And it wasn't as bad as we all thought it was going to be. And that's a good thing. Let's never forget that. But there is still a virus out there. They think there's a second wave potentially coming in the fall. Who knows? Khabib's dad apparently is sick. I've heard crazy rumors that he might even have said virus. If he were to, and knock on wood, I absolutely hope this doesn't happen. But, I mean, apparently he's in a coma right now. And I don't even want to speculate what could happen. But the point being, Khabib is in another world right now. He's dealing with a sick father who knows if we even get Khabib versus Gaethje is my point. So if we get uh, Gaethje versus Connor and then Khabib comes back early 2021 to fight the winner, or if an injury occurs, Tony steps in, who wouldn't, I would want to watch Tony versus Justin again. I know Justin won, you know, four out of five rounds at the very least and was dominant in it. But at the same time, I also have to feel a little bad for Tony who prepared an entire camp, did two weight cuts Preparing for Khabib, that's a different matchup than preparing for Gaethje.
0: Yeah, that is true. I think maybe that's a point being undersold about what happened that weekend, too, is just that, like, we we consistently are are very comfortable in saying Gaethje won and in a somewhat dominant fashion, too. At least some level of dominance exerted there. in I think not enough has been said about the fact that he did prepare for a wrestler for a really long time. And, and while, you know, Justin Gaethje is a fucking four year letter winner at a D one school. He, we don't consider him a wrestler, right? Like he's never attempted a takedown in the UFC. So like, yeah, he prepared for a wrestler and he didn't get one. So, I mean, maybe there's something to that. I do think though, that like sort of the, the funky aspects of Tony Ferguson's style, sort of were exposed at what happens when that fight's a very good technical striker um, in a very good technically defensive striker as well. And I think that, to me, was probably, like, the biggest takeaway from it. And, and who knows? Maybe you're right. Maybe it would be better if he was drilling striking more often or if he had other... Stuff. But I tend to think that, like, this was... That was the gap in that hole.
4: You're right. I, I mean, listen,
0: I... I think it's why,
4: if I'm if I'm not mistaken, four out of four flow combat uh, staff members, including myself and you, picked Gaethje over Ferguson, and and the fans online went wild saying how could no one pick Ferguson? But we we saw that coming. I guess my point is more to the fact that if they gave us. Ferguson versus Gaethje because of some injury or calamity that comes about, I ain't going to complain. I'll watch the shit out of that fight again because it's still Tony and Justin. There's so many good matchups at 155.
0: Yeah, that that's true. They were, and it was exciting. Like, it needs to be said that even though it was, uh, I think there was a clear and decisive winner, it was exciting. So so what else do you got from the weekend? What, what about the old men in the two main events pulling it back together and all of a sudden being, Possibly both contenders? Okay, so
4: I'm so glad we're talking about this because I think it's easy to create that narrative. I view them in two very different ways. Uh, And, of course, we're talking about Glover Teixeira beating Anthony Smith and Overeem beating Walt Harris at the heavyweight division. I think Anthony Smith is a higher caliber fighter than is Walt Harris. Uh, He had the speed advantage against Glover, but the thing with Glover is sometimes it's really hard to put away that old dog because he's got great uh, dirty boxing, close boxing, and his jiu-jitsu is really unparalleled in that light heavyweight division. So that's always going to keep him in fights is his grappling and just being such a tough guy. I more have stock and faith in a Glover late career surge potential title run, and it sucks because Jones has already beat him. Pretty soundly, so I don't think that's a fight that necessarily sells, and we are in the fight business. But if Jones were to go up to heavyweight, or again, calamity strikes, last minute injury replacement, Glover could find himself in a title shot. Overeem, on the other hand, I, I don't, you know, no offense, I don't find Walt Harris to be the next big thing. I don't think he's a top caliber heavyweight. I'm not as impressed with that performance. What about you?
0: I would say uh, I, I, I agree with you. I think Glover's performance was of a higher caliber he's fighting a guy who I think was more highly ranked in his division and rightfully so and it was more dominant too because let's talk about the fact that Walt Harris was probably a referee stepping in and us not complaining about it away from winning that fight because when he tagged over him in that first round I thought the ref was going to step in and I wouldn't have thought it was an early stoppage if he did the fact that Overeem survived that is incredible. Now, let's also not forget though, that while we're you're writing off Overeem, first of all, it's the most pathetic division in the UFC, with the exception of women's featherweight, which I don't exactly consider even a division. But he is one second away from being on a four fight win streak, too. Right? Like, you're talking about the fact that he beat the brakes. Off of Jair Rosenstrike, a guy who just had a fight with Francis Naganu, albeit a very short one, but was given a shot against Francis Naganu, he would be on a four fight win streak if that fight was five seconds shorter, because he won four rounds against Rosenstrike and then maybe four and a half minutes of the last round. So we're talking about wins over Alexia Linick, Walt Harris, almost Rosenstrike, and Sergey Pavlovich, who are all ranked fighters. At heavyweight, it's not out of the realm of possibility to think that he's probably one or two fights away from a title shot here.
4: That's still crazy to me, just because I don't trust his chin in a big spot, but yeah, you're bringing up some good points. I, I would now, agree with
0: you that I don't trust his chin, but here is, just just throwing this out here too. So he has been knocked out in the last, let's go, five years. In the last five years, off the top of your head, guess how many times Overeem's been knocked out?
4: So, dating back to 2016, right? Or 2015? Um, well, I know Curtis Blades uh, turned his head into a pinata. Yeah. And then... who? You're missing the highlight I... one. Well, oh, and then, of course, Nagano blasted him into outer space. Yeah,
0: and I mentioned Rosenstreich. I... Rosenstreich got that last second one. So, now we're talking about three incredible punches, and you're missing one other one. Um... For Overeem, don't tell me, don't tell me,
4: don't tell me, don't tell me. Alright, I give up. Who was it? Steve. Oh,
0: Steve so True. In so, a title fight. So the the four people he's been knocked out by in the last five years, and and granted, those are also his only four losses in the last five years, are the champ, the number one or two contender, depending on where you see DC in the Ganu, and the number three contender and then the guy who just got beat by the number three contender, who's, I think, five or six now. We're talking about he's lost four times, you're right, and we, we suspect his chin. But those four losses are to guys who have incredible power, had him in terrible positions, and are the best of the best in the division, too. So, like, while you might not think he's going to win a title because those guys are all ahead of him, fuck, he is much higher ranked than we're giving him credit for, I think. Good points. I'll tell you, actually, now that we're talking about it,
4: my memory's being jogged. You know what the most exciting part of the the whole past week was for me? Was we saw our first heel hook of 2020, and there was only one in 2019. Uh, And Michael Johnson, for the second time tapping to a leg lock, ties Luke Sanders for most uh, leg lock losses in UFC history at two. Uh, As a leg lock guy, as I know you are as well, this just really excited me.
0: Yeah, and make sure if you uh, fast-forwarded through the interview for some godforsaken reason, make sure you go back and listen to Tiago Moises talk about it because uh, while he's got the twisting portion of the lock there, he actually is calling it a straight ankle lock because he said he felt his ankle pop twice and because of the grip he had too. So obviously it's, it, there's lots of nuance to it. i got to go back and watch it after doing that interview because I haven't gotten a chance to yet And I originally thought he had heel hook there, too. But, yeah, it's crazy, first of all, that there's somebody who's lost the leg locks twice. Shout out to Paul Sass in the, the past. But also not completely crazy that this is Tiago Moises hitting this, too. Because a lot of people probably don't know the name Tiago Moises, right? It's like, before this, he was 1-2 and two in the UFC. You know, he even says in the interview, he was thinking that, like, this might have been his walking papers if he loses to Michael Johnson. Which, man, what a tough person to have to fight with and possibly get your walking papers. But if you go back and look at his resume, in some of the submission wins he has, he has a freaking helicopter armbar, which is one of the most impressive things. He uses uh, elevators to lift the guy up in the air and spin him while hitting an armbar. It's one of the most incredible things. That was all the way back in either RFA, back when it was RFA, or maybe LFA. I don't know if it had already changed over, but definitely go back and look at some of his past fights. His jujitsu is incredible. And... I don't know about you. I loved the fact that he came out for that second round being like, I'm either going to get this takedown or I'm going to fall down and he is going to have to grapple me.
4: Right. You know, I am actually watching. I had our intern pull it up. And while there is a twisting motion, he's completely right. He has a guillotine grip, one more associated with an ankle lock. So there is a bit of a belly down ankle lock pressure that was probably being put on Michael Johnson's uh, Achilles tendon. But that being said, he had uh, sort of a double outside control on the leg. I think it's one of those cases where it almost was like combo knee bar Bit of a twisting heel hook and the pressure was probably felt Michael Johnson's Achilles and almost became more of an ankle lock. I'll give it to him.
0: I think he's right. I think that actually was an ankle lock. So this is breaking news as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and it's it's really great technically, too, right, because it looked like he had the ankle lock. And you're right, there's definitely like almost like a reap to it, right? That that looks like he's turning it. And then a belly down. There, there's so much nuance into breaking this down. I wish we had like a, a Gracie breakdown for this, this leg lock submission. I don't know if they do UFC ones, but I would like to see a Gracie breakdown for this submission because it, it is so nuanced. And that's sort of what I mean by this, this leg lock game too, is that like Moises is clearly like a high level jujitsu guy in a division where... We don't have a lot of high-level jiu-jitsu guys, right? Like, 100, 155 pounds. I mean, we got Charles Oliveira, who we consider a high-level jiu-jitsu guy. But, like, apart from that, like, who are we talking about being, like, the jiu-jitsu guys at, at 55? So, you know, like, he's got a very interesting path uh, to what he might be doing on the way to the top. And, and you know, after beating Michael Johnson, he, I mean, he certainly got some claim to fight somebody of, of real relevance after that.
4: Yeah, a couple of things off of that. It is funny that 155, I mean, you know, listen, Khabib is the king of all grapplers. And while I know he's not jujitsu based, you know, he does have submissions to his credit. Um, and it, I don't really care that it's not jujitsu based. He is a, he's a grappler, you know, he's a submission grappler and he's the best in the business. But you're right. There's no classically,
0: you know, sub
4: heavy other than Oliveria at 155. But then you go down 10 pounds. And you have Krohn Gracie, you have Ryan Hall. It feels
0: like 145. Um, Somehow know, grabbed him off, right? Because they, right. they, got, they got Bryce Mitchell, too, who, who, while he's unconventional as fuck, he is also, like, very jujitsu heavy, right? And, and he just beat Charles Rosa, too, who is Who's also, also very jujitsu jiu- Yeah, and, and they just lost, <laughs> and like, Manny Bermudez just got fired because he missed weight 750 times, but he was... Also very jujitsu heavy, right? Like, it, it's a really great division for, like, the purest jujitsu, whereas, like, up just 10 pounds it is, like, almost a barren wasteland for those exact same type of grapplers, which is is weird. I, I don't know why that's, like, some kind of threshold to, like, the wrestling world almost, right? Like, that, that seems like a wrestling world threshold,
4: now we brought up the name Ryan Hall, and I have to ask you because it's so funny to me. Uh, how many, how many off the top of your head leg locks do you think Ryan Hall has in the UFC?
0: In the UFC, it's. Hang on a second. Do do we are we counting uh, the Ultimate Fighter? No. Okay, because he had two on the Ultimate Fighter, if I remember correctly, both That's by Emanari rule. Um, is it just one? Is it just BJ Penn? Yeah, it's just one. It's just okay. one against BJ Penn.
1: Okay.
4: But
0: doesn't it be?
4: And here's the other thing: How many fights do you think Ryan Hall has had in the UFC? Um. So he beat
0: again, not counting uh, not counting the Ultimate you Fighter. Count, uh, you can count you can count Artem or the Ultimate Fighter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna count that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So because that's actually in the UFC, it's not in the Tough House. So right. uh, Artem Lobov, uh, he pieced up De- Darren Elkins. He beat BJ mm-hmm. Penn. And Gray Maynard. So is that four? The yeah. four? yeah, four. That's yeah. crazy. He's yeah. been in the UFC forever. <laughs> I, that's what I'm saying. Who the fuck, the fuck would, to him, who would, who would right. want to fight I him? Who would fucking want to fight him? Especially he, after the Gray Maynard fight.
4: He's the guy who, when the manager calls up and says, yeah, we got a fight, you get all excited, and they say, who is it? And they go, Ryan Hall, click, they're going to hang up um but it, it's just so funny to me like we talk we especially on our show because we're grappling nerds we talk about ryan hall i feel like he's been in the ufc forever and i feel like he fights three times a year and i feel like he has 30 leg locks to his credit he has one <laughs> yeah. okay and it's really just because bj penn who's never been submitted before just turned the wrong way and obviously that happens and i'm not that's not to say ryan hall couldn't leg lock him five out of ten times they faced but it wasn't I don't even know. It just it, To me, it was so shocking because it was BJ Penn. But all being said, um, you know, it's just one of those things where I guess my larger point is there aren't a lot of leg locks. Ryan Hall barely fights. He probably doesn't have a lot of years left at this point in the UFC. What do you make of, and we'll end our, uh, our segment on this, Gumby, why aren't there more leg locks in the UFC in your opinion right now?
0: I've been really interested in this question lately too because I I went back and watched The Ultimate Fighter 7. Me and my wife in quarantine have binge watched a couple of seasons of The Ultimate Fighter. And Ultimate Fighter 7 had like 80 leg lock attempts in fights. And I kept thinking to myself, it's crazy that people... And and including, I think, one finish? One leg lock finish by Tim Crater? Um, So like, a, a lot of leg locks used to try to happen and some would... And and you're right, maybe we don't see him so much now. And the crazy thing to me is, is that like, when you think about competitive grappling, it's the exact opposite way, right? Right, like, you never saw leg locks, and now sub-only movement took off, and like, you only see, not only see leg locks, but you know what I mean. There's an incredible amount of them. Yeah, I don't, I don't know what it is. My guess would be, uh, my guess would be technical proficiency in defense, right? But like, is that even true? Do more people know how to defend a leg lock in 2020 versus in, no. in 2012? No. I, so, and I'm so
4: glad we're talking about this because he, here's my answer. I think it's somewhat of an anomaly. There are leg locks happening at high-level MMA, and I get that the UFC is the highest level, but we saw them in Bellator multiple times last year. One FC, you mention it on the grappling circuit, obviously in Noki. Now, you're not getting hit in the face. So I understand that. On your first day of MMA, if you went to a coach and you've never done MMA before and you said, hey, I'm going to try to roll through for some leg locks, some m and rolls, the first thing they're going to tell you is, well, okay, that's fine, kid, but you're going to get hit in the face. This ain't a grappling match. You're going to get hit in the face when you go for leg locks. So that obviously is a a barrier of entry for leg locks, but they are happening. You can certainly apply them without getting hit in the face or even just take a couple of hammer fists while you're, you know, wrenching someone's knee on a a sunken heel like it's going to work. I get the sense that in the UFC especially, you know, I think you're just conditioned to expect a stand-up war, Rounds end, you start standing again, which I think is bullshit. I think if you end a round in a dominant position, it should start there, just like you do in a normal jiu-jitsu role, uh, the next round. Uh, but that being said, I think it's going to come back into favor is my long story short. I do think we will see a wave of it. I think UFC, you know, sometimes you see like, uh, with Connor with his shoulder strikes. I think we're going to see more people try that now after he had success with it. And it's just a copycat style league. I think right now it's not in favor, but I think it could come back into favor because I don't really have that technical reason why they're not happening in the UFC. I see them happening at other levels of MMA. And that to me tells me that they could happen in the UFC, especially with guys like Ryan Hall. He's
0: just not fighting enough. If Ryan Hall fought three times a year, we'd have more leg locks in the UFC. Yeah, and I would also add in too that there was a leg lock. And I'm going to screw up the name here too. Uh, in LFA, is it the guy's last name, Uh It was the main event, and it was against the guy who was on the contender series at Light Heavyweight. So, again, another high level one of two guys who were almost in the UFC. Do you think it will take, because you mentioned Connor's shoulder strikes and more people trying that, and I've even seen some people try it even more on the ground since he did that. Do you think it takes somebody who reaches that pinnacle, I mean, obviously not Conor-level theme, but that pinnacle, that high level of a division using leg locks before it becomes the copycat, though? Yeah,
4: I think that that would certainly help. And I think if you could show in a technical position how it works, you know, I thought it was very interesting, and Eddie Bravo talks about, uh, and we'll end on this, he talked about not knowing what to say to Tony in the corner between rounds, and he was just like, uh, maybe go for an MNRI role. And he realized it was kind of bad coaching advice because that works better in the first or second round. But you do have certain guys in the UFC who go for a Minari roles. If you could show that it works as a takedown entry or just a, an entry without getting hit, you'll see more people doing it. It just has to kind of find that success and and have people try it in certain situations where, you know, it could be like another another weapon in, in someone's arsenal.
0: Yeah, and, and maybe I don't know if you inadvertently made this point or intentionally made it, but maybe you're right. Maybe it being an early round strategy is something that needs to yeah. break through because Moises basically said that to me earlier is that he said that his when he got to his corner in between the first and the second round, they were like, what the hell are you doing? You were supposed to grapple this guy. And he comes out in the second round and grapples him and wins. So, like, maybe it is an early round strategy when your legs are still dry and there's there's traction there. Because, you know, I, I know when I'm grappling, uh you know, having my spats on is really important. And I'm obviously much better at the beginning of class than I am at the end of class with leg locks because, you know, it's a dry man's game. And not that you can't get them when you're a little little sweaty too. But uh, I imagine, especially in MMA when you can't wear spats, that that's true.
4: Agreed. Well, this was a fun discussion, Gumby. I look forward to the next one. I'm so happy that fights are back. I think that about wraps it up for us. Why don't you do a little house cleaning and just, you know, take us home here in a nice way. Give the fans what they need to know and let's call it a day.
0: And that's going to do it for another episode of Top Turno MMA Podcast. We want to thank you, the fans, for tuning in each and every week. Couldn't do what we do without you guys listening along. We also couldn't do what we do without Flow Combat, the mothership, the house that we live in here, so make sure to check them out. And make sure you check out all of our sponsors: Maroon Social, the Fight Call app, and BattleClangear.com. And also make sure to check us out on Twitter and at Instagram at TopTurtleMMA. We've got all kinds of fun giveaways and updates going on over there. So make sure you check out both of those platforms. I'm Daniel Gumby Freeland, he's Shockwave Dave termonte and we will see you next week.